Welcome to Harvest. It's Easter Sunday. Welcome to those of you who are online right now tuning in with us. Wherever you are, uh, downstairs, upstairs, online, let's celebrate Easter today by opening up our Bibles and turning to the book of John. John chapter 20 is where we'll be today looking at this great resurrection narrative from the Gospel of John. John chapter 20, as you're turning there, let me, I want to start with just kind of a, I don't know, a depressing observation this Easter Sunday, okay? I just want to point something out. I know Easter Sunday is, is a wonderful time of celebration. We're, we're excited to celebrate the resurrection, but let me, just, let me just throw some cold water on what we're doing this morning, okay? By the end of this century... In the year 2100, every single person in this room will be dead, except maybe a few kids in the room right now. And, you know, that should be sobering for us. should be sobering for us. Maybe 10% of our church presently constituted will be alive. Most of us, by 2100, will be long gone. I heard this last week that there's actually this asteroid that's been circling the sun and, and they've been kind of estimating when it's going to hit the earth, you know, hit our planet. And um, supposedly there was this thought by astronomers that it was going to hit in 2036, but we've eluded that, I guess. So now they're pushing it back. They keep pushing it back further and further. But according to what I heard this last week, this asteroid We'll miss our planet in the year 2029 by 20,000 miles. 20,000 miles. Can I just say in the realm of space out there, that's a close shave. That's kind of tight. I mean, we're just going to barely escape planetary destruction. Shoot, who knows how many times that's happened. I'm sure glad God is in charge of these things. And before you relax too much, just a reminder again, in 100 years, all of us will be dead, okay? We'll all be dead. What are you going to do about that, Harvest Decatur? Happy Easter, everybody. Happy Easter. As depressing as that is, if you stop and thinking about that, there was, there was actually a moment in human history that was more dire than that. There was a moment in human history where eternal death hovered over all of us. And it was in John chapter 19 when Christ Jesus, Son of God, creator of the universe, he was arrested, he was beaten, he was convicted, he was flogged, he was brutalized, he was crucified. Jesus was forced to carry a cross outside of the city of Jerusalem and there he was put to death and afterwards he was laid in Joseph's tomb. And I'll just tell you, Harvest Decatur, in that moment 2,000 years ago as Jesus was in the tomb, eternity hung in the balance. And eternal death just had control over us. And if John 19 was all that was written in the Gospel of John, in other words, if there was no John 20 or no resurrection narrative in any of the Gospels, you know, really, we should just all go home right now, Honestly. There's no reason to be here. There's no reason to celebrate. You, sh you should live 
drink and be happy because tomorrow we die and it's over. But aren't you glad that John 20 follows John 19? Topic of our message this morning is restored, and I want to look at how Jesus' resurrection in John 20 is restorative for us. And I want to look at some specific characters in Jesus' resurrection narrative here that show us some things. Okay, I want to look at Mary Magdalene in John 20. I want to look at Jesus' disciples, Peter and John and others as well. I want to look particularly at Thomas too, Jesus' disciple. And I want you to see, we're, we're going to go all the way to the end of John 20. I want you to see at the end, in the last two verses of this chapter, how John, the author of this gospel, breaks the fourth wall, so to speak, and he peers out towards all of his readers, and he talks directly to us. And you need to hear what he has to say. We're going to end there. But let's start with Mary Magdalene. Write this down in your notes as number one. Jesus' resurrection restores four things. First of all, it restores hope to the brokenhearted. Jesus' resurrection restores hope to the brokenhearted. At the beginning of John 20, we find Mary Magdalene distraught. Obvious. Jesus was everything to her. He was everything. She's distraught, and she's traveling to the tomb of Jesus. Now, on the first day of the week, John 20, verse 1, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. First day of the week. Now, this is Sunday, folks. This is Easter Sunday, almost 2,000 years ago. And the, the Jews at that time, they didn't give names to the days of the week. They gave numbers. The first day of the week was the first day after Sabbath, first day after Saturday. So here we are, Sunday morning. And instead of finding this, this massive boulder in front of Jesus' tomb like she expects, she sees the tomb open. She sees the stone removed. And instead of investigating further, Mary, Mary just bolts out of there Look at. Verse 2, so she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, a.k.a. John the Apostle, right? The author of that book, this gospel. And she said to them, I want you to hear the fear and the panic in her, her voice. They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. They've taken him. Now, let's be clear here. Let's be clear about Mary Magdalene. She does not believe at this moment that Jesus has been raised from the dead. That's not what she thinks. Even though Jesus told her and told the disciples too, by the way, several times that he would indeed be crucified, be raised from the dead after three days. He told them, but that's, that's not what she thinks here. She assumes the worst. She assumes, she says, we do not know where they have laid him. You know, who are the they? The, the, the body snatchers, so to speak, the, the grave robbers, people with nefarious purposes, maybe people who wanted to steal the body for whatever reason. Maybe they, maybe the they are the, the Jews or the Romans who wanted to make an example of Jesus again and hang his dead body up for everybody to say, don't be like this guy. If you're going to be an insurrectionist like this guy, this is what you're going to get. She assumes the worst and something like that, moving the body of a dead Jewish person. I mean, that's, that's like their, their worst thought in this moment. To, to disturb the corpse, to touch a dead body, to move a dead body, to humiliate Jesus' body in that way. 
She doesn't know what happened. She assumes the worst. But doggone it, Peter and John are going to find out what happened. So look at verse 3. So Peter went out with the other disciple, John, and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. You remember, I think I've shared this with you before. At this time, you know, Jewish men didn't run. That was undignified. I know some of y'all like to run, and that seems, you know, healthy, but... uh, In the Jewish world, to run as a man, that's, that's undignified. You don't do that. Kids run. Adults don't run, but, you know, they got to find out what happened. They're, they don't care about dignity right now. And just by the way, John reminds us that he smoked Peter going towards the tomb. <laughs> he won that race. Now, why would you put that in there? Why is that in the gospel? Because it happened. Because this happened. Because he's, he's an eyewitness of what took place. So like you saying, both they are running. They got to find out what happened to this body. Verse 5, and stooping to look in, John got there first, right? He saw the linen cloths lying there. Hmm, what in the world? But John, he's cautious. See, he did not go in. He's more reserved. Peter, not so much. Look at verse 6. And Simon Peter came following in, and he went right into the tomb. That's consistent with Peter's personality, isn't it? He just barged right in. And what's he see there? He saw the linen cloths lying there and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. In other words, this is not a crime scene. If Sherlock Holmes was here, he would say, no grave robbers came here. Because the grave robbers would have taken, taken these, these claws, the only thing of value, dead bodies of no value. And if the Jews or the Romans had taken the body, why would they unwrap the dead body in the first place? And, and even if they did, why would they leave it all folded up like this? Something happened here. Something doesn't make sense. What's going on? Then the other disciple, look at verse 8. This is a key moment in John 20 who had reached the tomb first, just remind I got there first. He also went in, and he saw those garments and believed. Hadn't seen Jesus risen from the dead yet. And, and I don't know, something must have triggered here with John. Oh, yeah. Oh, right. Jesus said this. He believed. He's the first to believe in John 20. But, I mean, it's interesting that that belief hasn't really taken a hold of his heart just yet and changed his actions. It doesn't fully understand. Verse 9, for as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. And then verse 10, the the disciples went back to their homes. You know, it's just kind of ho-hum. Okay, well, back to the house. We'll talk more about these guys in a moment, but let's get back to Mary. You know, I... Typical men that they are, they just go back home. They don't even inform Mary what happened. You know, they're just kind of doing their own thing. Mary had followed them, must not have been able to keep up with them, and she's now at the tomb. So in verse 11, John tells us, but Mary stood weeping outside of the tomb. And as she wept, now she enters. She stooped to look into the tomb. Verse 12, and 
What does she see? She saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. By the way, so Mary's weeping. The word used here, the Greek word is the word klio, and it's, it's the word that's used of Lazarus's sister earlier in John. This is bitter wailing and weeping. This is strong emotion here. So, I mean, Mary, you've got to feel for Mary. Jesus was her everything. She's lost everything. She is broken. She is weeping. And now she doesn't know what's happened to his body. She assumes the worst. And as she peers in, she sees these angels, and they start talking to her, and they say to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Why are you weeping? And she said to them, they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. There's that they again. Who's the they? Somebody did something. Something bad's happening here. And she's so distraught. She's so, I don't know, bothered. Maybe, maybe her eyes were clouded up with tears, but she doesn't even realize that she's talking to angels at this moment. You know, when angels show up, typically in the Bible, people hit the deck People are afraid for their lives with good reason. They are afraid for their lives because angels kill folks in the Bible sometimes. And, and instead of that, she's so distraught. She's so overcome with grief. It doesn't even hit her that she's talking with angels. And having said this, I assume by this point now, she's moved out of the tomb. She's heard from the angels. It doesn't register with her. Now, she turned around outside the tomb and saw Jesus standing there. Hell! Mystery solved, Mary! There he is! But look, 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 look. She did not know that it was Jesus. Oh, man, it breaks your heart, doesn't it? Maybe her eyes really are just so clouded over. She did not know it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? There's no crying in resurrection, Mary. You can't be crying. You can't be wailing. There's no bitter emotion here. It's a time to celebrate. Whom are you seeking? Jesus asks her. And supposing him to be the gardener. (laughs) You know, sometimes history is stranger than fiction. You know, you can't make this stuff up. She turns to him thinking he was the gardener. She said, sir, if you you carried him away, tell me where you've laid him and I will take him away. Come on, gardener, where'd you put him? It's amazing, you know, as you read the resurrection appearances of Jesus, just, there's time when, times when Jesus is recognizable but not recognizable. Have y'all noticed that? Like he's there and they see him, but then they, they don't see him. They, they didn't see him, but now they see him. It's, and I, I assume from that that there's some kind of continuity and discontinuity with resurrection bodies. So we, we kind of look like we did before, but then we're different. We're better somehow. I sure hope that's the case, you know. My new resurrection body. Hey, that's Tony, sort of, but he's better. Yeah. So Jesus asks her, Whom are you seeking? She wants to know who took Jesus' body away. And then Jesus talks to her again, and it, and it must have been the way he said her name. You know? you know how there's people that just say your name, and it's just they have a way of saying their name, like your name like nobody else. 
It must have been that. Because look at verse 16. Jesus said to her, Mary. (laughs) Mary. And she turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, teacher. Jesus' resurrection restores hope to the brokenhearted, doesn't it? And then Jesus says to her, verse 17, do not cling to me for I have not yet ascended to the Father. And and I I kind of envision in this moment, you know, Mary just, when she, Jesus, she just grabbed a hold of him and wouldn't let go. Like, you're mine, you're not going anywhere. Just gave him the biggest bear hug that was allowable in a Jewish culture. Or maybe I I can imagine too, like she grabbed a hold of his leg and I'm not not letting you go again, Jesus. I'm not losing you again. You're staying with me. And, And Jesus says, Mary, you gotta let me go. I got stuff to do. I got places to be. I got other people to see. And besides that, I'm ascending to the Father. I'm ascending to the Father, Mary, but don't worry. I'm gonna send my Holy Spirit in my place and he's gonna take care of you. And then Jesus gives her this mission. Jesus sends her out as the first missionary in the post-resurrection era He says, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my father and your father, to my God and your God. So verse 18, Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. You know what Jesus' resurrection does for us, Harvest Decatur? It restores hope to the brokenhearted. Restores hope to the brokenhearted. It lets us know that someday crying will come to an end and we don't have to be afraid. We don't have to be afraid of death. We don't have to be afraid of losing Jesus because Jesus' resurrection assures us. It assures us of our own future resurrection after death. Write this down as number two in your notes. Here's another thing that Christ's resurrection restores. It also restores gladness to the fearful. Gladness to the fearful. Look at verse 19. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, so now it's Easter evening, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews. Now, just a few observations here. You know, this is Sunday night, so this is conceivably after Peter and John have seen the empty tomb, they went back to their room. This is after conceivably Mary saw Jesus and she came and she told him, I saw Jesus, he's alive, told him all about what happened. Now in that moment, they, they, they're hiding in their room. You know, they crucified Jesus. They're coming for us next. Can I just state the obvious here? This is not the disciples' best moment right here. Peter and John, you know, really locked in a room? Really? Why don't you go find out what happened to Jesus? Why don't you believe what Mary told you? Why don't you go find out for yourself what happened? No, 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 they... They're locked in the room. So Jesus decides these these scaredy cats, they need a little push. They need a little disruption. So uh, Jesus decides to show up and scare the bejeepers out of them. (laughs) Jesus came, look at verse 19, and stood among them. In a locked room, people. Okay, this is a locked room. Shows up. And he says to them, 
peace be with you. Now, I don't know about you, but if a dead guy showed up randomly in a locked room, the last thing that I would be feeling in that moment is peace. I bet these disciples hit the roof when Jesus said this. I bet they were afraid for their lives and just jumped out of their skin. And look at the tenderness of this moment. Look at verse 20. When he said this, he he showed them his hands. He showed them his side. The places in his hands where they drove those nails to affix him to the cross. The place in his side where they had thrust that spear and outflowed blood and water. It's, hey, it's me. It's really me, okay? And, and you can touch me. I'm not a ghost. This is, this is me in resurrected body form. Jesus is a God of wounds, Right? Remember that poem from Good Friday? He's the Jesus of the scars. And I don't know about you, but I would, I would you know, if, travel, if time travel was possible, which we know from the movies, if it was possible, we should never do it because it ruins the universe. <laughs> but if time travel was possible, I would give every cent that I have to get in that time machine and go back to this moment when Jesus showed up before these disciples and said peace and then showed him those scars. I would love to have been there when he did this. And John says this in verse 20, and this, this might be the greatest understatement in the Bible. Then the disciples were glad. <laughs> I, I'm sure they were. Then they were glad when they saw the Lord. Christ's resurrection restores peace to the fearful. Christ's resurrection restores gladness to the fearful. So Jesus says to them, verse 21, peace be with you as the Father has sent me. Even so, I am sending you. Stop saying in this locked room, disciples, get out there. You're the sent ones. You're the apostles. And when he said this, he breathed on them and said to them, here, this will help receive the Holy Spirit. And if you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Let me just say a few things here about Jesus' resurrection, but I can't resist but comment on this because I just find this fascinating. And I've said already, there, there must be this kind of continuity and discontinuity with the resurrection bodies. So Jesus, you know, on the road to Emmaus, we see this. You know, they didn't recognize Jesus, but then they did recognize Jesus. He's, he's not there, but then he's there. And it just makes me think that, that maybe our resurrection bodies are going to be similar in that way. You know, Hang Tu told me once when he gets his resurrection body, he wants to be taller. That's what he asked for. And I don't know. I don't know, but I, I assume that Hang Tu will look like Hang Tu and we'll recognize him. And you'll look like you and I'll look like me and yet we'll be, we'll be better. We'll be better in some way. And I've, you know, Ryan and I have speculated too about like Jesus, you know, how does he just kind of appear and disappear? Maybe our resurrection bodies have the ability to materialize, dematerialize as needed, like, like vision from the Marvel universe, I guess. I don't know, but I sure hope so. Cause that sounds cool. Jesus just kind of shows up in these locked rooms. Here, here's another thing that I find curious though, as we see Jesus's resurrection body, which by the way, Paul says is the first fruits of our own resurrection. His body will, our body will be like his body in resurrected form. 1 Corinthians 15. 
Another thing that I find curious here is that Jesus, his new resurrection body, retained the scars that he had when he was crucified. Doesn't that strike you as curious? And it makes me wonder about my own body. You know, I, I got scars. Are my scars going to go? I got this scar over my eye when somebody elbowed me playing basketball once and just split my eye open. I got scar. I, I've had five knee surgeries on my right knee, and I, I've got the scars to prove it. Are those scars going right into my new resurrection body? I don't think so. I don't think so. I think that Jesus is, this is a little bit of conjecture here. I'm taking my cue from Wayne Grudem. I think that Jesus retaining these, star, these scars, I think that's unique. And I can imagine someday, just think with me for a moment, 10,000 years from now, when we're gathered in the throne room at the New Jerusalem, and Jesus is there, Again, for the 10,000th time, Jesus will show us his scars in his new resurrection body, and we will worship him again. These scars reminding us what he suffered in order that we might be in the new Jerusalem, experiencing eternal life with him. What do y'all think about that, Harvest Decatur? Maybe a little conjecture there? Otherwise, I don't know how to make sense of why Jesus had these scars on his body in his post-resurrection state. And by the way, he's not ashamed of them. He's showing, hey, boys, look at this. Huh? Look what I did for you. Look what had to happen so that you might be saved from your sins. He's not ashamed. He's a God of wounds. He's Jesus of the scars. Let's keep going here. Write this down as number three. Christ's resurrection restores hope to the brokenhearted. It restores gladness to the fearful. Thirdly, it restores confidence to the doubter. Let's talk about Thomas. Verse 24. Now Thomas, here's Thomas, one of the 12, one of the chosen called the twin. He was not with them when Jesus came that Easter evening. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. Remember Jesus sent them out as sent ones? We have seen the Lord. We've seen him. But Thomas said back to them, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe Unless I see it with my eyes and touch it with my hands, I will not believe, says Thomas. Now this, this whole thing, John 21, it's like, John 20, it's like, a, it's like a bad game of Red Rover, Red Rover. They send out Mary Magdalene, tell the disciples, no, nah, no, nah, nah, we don't believe that. They lock the doors. And then the disciples get all fired up. Jesus sends them out and they go and they tell Thomas and then Thomas doesn't believe either. So, and this is the worst of it. Look at verse 26, eight days later. So this is the next Sunday evening, day, whatever time of day it is. His disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them, but the doors were locked again, again. It's almost like Jesus sent them out, and they're like, well, we tried, Lord. You know, we tried with Thomas, but it didn't take, so we're back here again. 
what a bunch of scaredy cats. Come on, guys. Get on with it. And it's almost like Jesus decides, you know, I need to give these guys another push. It's time to scare them again. So eight days later, his disciples were inside again, locked doors. Thomas was with them this time. Jesus came and stood among them and again said, peace be with you. I kind of wonder if Jesus gets this kind of mischievous pleasure out of scaring the life out of these disciples, you know, just showing up in locked places. It's me again, peace. Jesus, if you want us to have peace, would you please stop scaring us in a locked room? And look how gracious Jesus is to Thomas. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here. Now hold on, hold on a second. Something is implicit to what's going on here. When Thomas said that earlier, Jesus wasn't there, but, but he was there, right? He heard what Thomas said. He, he knew that Thomas said, unless, unless, unless I see in his hands the marks, unless I put my finger into the mark. And here Jesus is just a few days later and said, I heard you, Thomas. Put your finger here. See my hands. Put out your hand and place it in my finger, in my side. Do not disbelieve, Thomas. Believe. Believe. One of my favorite paintings is a painting called The Incredulity of Thomas. It's a painting by the Italian artist Caravaggio. I love this painting. I love the look on Thomas's face in this painting. It just, it, he just looks incredulous as he's looking at Jesus's wounds. And, and it, it's not incredulous, at least in that painting now. It's not like I don't believe anymore. It's more like I, this is, I can't believe this is true. This is amazing. And what does Thomas do after this? How does he respond when Jesus says, do not disbelieve, but believe? Look at verse 28. Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. Can I just tell you the obvious harvesticator? Thomas does good here. Thomas does good here. He goes farther than anybody else has gone yet. My Lord and my God. He worships Jesus. Who else but God could conquer the grave like this? Who else but God could rise from the dead? And let me say this too. You know, Thomas, Thomas, he gets a bad rap, doesn't he? Doubting Thomas. That's how we refer to him. Who wants to be defined by their worst moment in life, you know? Would you want to be defined that way? I mean, nobody calls Peter satanic Peter, even though Jesus told him at one point, get behind me, Satan. 
Nobody calls John vindictive John, even though he wanted to call down fire from heaven and kill all the Samaritans. Why should he be defined by his worst moment? Doubting Thomas. Yeah, maybe Thomas was doubting in verse 25, but he also recognized the deity and the glory of Jesus in verse 28. He worshiped Jesus as God in verse 20. And by the way, uh, let me add to it. Let me go further. I'll just tell you right now, Harvest Decatur, you need to be more like Thomas. You need to be more like him. D- doubting, to, yeah, and I don't mean the Thomas of verse 25. That guy is more wicked than you realize. Doubting the testimony of other people who say they have seen Jesus. He's cynical and pessimistic. When I say you need to be more like Thomas, you need to be more like the Thomas in verse 28. The guy who said, my Lord and my God. And affirm the deity of Jesus Christ. You be like Thomas. You be like Thomas. And the reason that Thomas' statement is so remarkable is because he, he grasps who Jesus is before anybody else truly grasps this. Yeah, I know Peter had a similar testimony. You were the Christ, the son of the living God earlier. Good for Peter. That was actually before Jesus' resurrection. But Thomas just skips the son of the living God part and he goes straight to my Lord and my God. You be more like Thomas. And by the way, just a little bit of a diversion here. You know, the Jehovah's Witnesses, when they read, they don't know what to do with this passage. They don't know what to do. Because if you know anything about the JWs, I know some of you do, they don't believe in the Trinity, they don't believe in the deity of Christ. So when they when they, they try to explain this and, and what, what they do is they try to say, well, you know, Thomas didn't really believe here that Jesus was God. What he did here in this moment is that he uttered a profanity. That's what he did. My Lord, my God. Like, you know, OMG on Facebook or something. Does that sound a little far-fetched to you? It is far-fetched. The problem with that view, D.A. Carson makes this clear, The problem is this little Greek word in the phrase that Thomas utters, it's it's this word and, you know? My Lord and my God. What's Thomas doing in that moment? What, What do you do with that and? I'll tell you what Thomas is doing. He's affirming Jesus' deity. He believes. He believes that Jesus is raised from the dead and he believes also that Jesus is God. So you be more like him, Harvest. You know what? You be better than him. You be better than Thomas. And I'll show you how. Because Jesus said himself, look at verse 29, Jesus said to Thomas, have you believed because you have seen me? Good, that's good. But blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed, i.e., the people of Harvest Decatur who have not seen Jesus Christ in the flesh, who have not touched his body yet, haven't seen him yet. But we have read the testimony of his faithful witnesses in the word and we have believed. Blessed are you who have not seen and yet believe the truth about Jesus Christ that he is raised from the dead and that he is God. So you do, you do like Thomas, you do better than Thomas. 
You believe this testimony, this faithful narrative of what was written concerning Christ, blessed are those who have not seen and have yet believed. And that leads to my last point. This is where the apostle John breaks through the fourth wall and he just talks directly to us. He just goes right after his readers. And he says, verse 30, now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. Couldn't put them all in there. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. You can write this down as number four in your notes. Jesus' resurrection restores life to the believer. Restores life to the believer. John says, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples which are not written in this book. That's John's way of saying, I, could, I couldn't put it all down. It's too much. But what I did write was a faithful witness and I wrote it down for one reason. I wrote it down for this, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name, which, which prompts this question for all of you this morning. Let me just ask you, those of you watching at home right now, do you have life in his name? Have you believed the gospel <laughs> that you are a sinner and Jesus Christ died on the cross and rose from the dead and has given you victory if you have faith, if you believe. Do you have life in his name? Some of you might say, well, if Jesus showed up right now in the flesh and showed me his scars, I'd believe, Pastor I'd believe then. I'm waiting for that. Jesus says, blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. John tells you this is a faithful witness. I wrote this down so that you might believe, so that you might experience the blessing of faith in Jesus Christ. You might say, well, that's not fair. Well, Jesus appeared to Mary Magdalene. Why doesn't he appear to me? Why, doesn't he appear to, why did he appear to Thomas but not to me? Can I just state the obvious? We don't deserve anything. Thomas didn't deserve that. Mary didn't deserve that. None of us deserve anything. We don't deserve that this is written down for us and we might be saved. So let me just encourage you, receive the word of the Lord, believe and be saved. Blessed blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. Believe this word. And let me go back to my original point in the sermon, way back at the beginning. This is why there's an urgency, even in my tone, Easter 2021. Death is coming soon for all of us. Death and taxes, you can't escape either of them. And if there's anything that we've learned in this COVID-19 era, it's that we are not as strong and indestructible as we think we are. Death is coming for us. But for those who believe in Jesus Christ as their Savior, let me just tell you, death is not a finality. 
Death is a passage. Death is transition. As we enter into the presence of the Lord with eternal life, God has provided a way for you to have eternal life. God has preserved that way of salvation in his word so that you can hear it, receive it, and believe it. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. If you don't believe this morning, but you want to, if you want to, why not make Easter 2021 a day of salvation? Why not? What are you waiting for? You can have life in his name. Let's pray together. Let's just bow our heads. Everybody is still and quiet as you can be right now. As we just consider right now. We have some young ones in this service. We might have some young ones online downstairs. It doesn't matter how old you are. Even right now, whether you're six or 16 or 60, You can have life in his name. You can have eternal life. And if you want that, the Bible makes clear that salvation is a matter of repentance and faith. Repentance. Repentance means that you acknowledge your sin before a righteous and holy God. And you turn from that sin and you turn from yourself and you turn from your own ability to save yourself. And instead you accept the free gift that God gives through Christ's death on the cross. And you believe. If that's you right now, this Easter morning, utter those words right now, the quietness of your heart before the Lord. I believe. I admit my sinfulness before a righteous God, and I believe that Jesus died to pay for my sins. I believe that he rose from the dead. I confess with my mouth that Jesus is Lord and I believe in my heart that God raised him from the dead. Lord, I've been a follower of Jesus for 35 plus years. And the resurrection never gets old to me. I believe it. 
just as much today as I did all those years ago. And Lord, I can't wait for my new resurrection body. I can't wait to see you face to face. To lock eyes with you. To hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant. I long for that day. So Lord, we say as a church this Easter morning, thank you. Thank you for your sacrifice on a cross. Thank you for conquering death. And thank you, Lord, that when you did conquer death, you didn't just obliterate humanity like we deserved. But in your mercy, you offered us salvation. What a marvel. Lord, we do have several young ones in our church today. We do have several young ones that are hearing the truth of the gospel daily from their parents, from their church. Lord, we understand that salvation is between you and them. You are the author of salvation. God, do that work in our church, I pray. Help us, Lord, as well, to be faithful witnesses of yours. We are sent ones too. Give us courage and confidence in this world to represent you, I pray, because we believe that only Jesus, only Jesus can save us from our sins.